I went kayaking yesterday for like eight hours, right? Ooh, wow. Then after I kayaked, okay. Oh, oh, I lost my phone in the river too, so now I don't have a phone. Right now. Uh, my beautiful Galaxy Note 20 Ultra 5G gone. Oh, uh, you took it. I took it on the kayak. Yeah, I was playing music, and uh, I don't even remember how it happened. I was just, I was just pedaling really fast. I think it was like there was like water in the boat, and then it like slipped the phone up when I did like a really hard push because we were like. Uh, we were there was like an alligator in the water and I was like trying to avoid it and then the phone just fell out and I was like yeah I'm not going in the water so there's that <laughs> bye forever so yeah that was that then I after that I was like I'm depressed so let me eat my my depression with food went to Chili's after uh, bought like a bunch of mochis at Whole Foods ate a bunch of chips and salsa went back home cooked pasta ate pasta. So let me just say, I was a full boy last night. <laughs> Today, I had the the worst time. I ate Taco Bell. I um, I hadn't I hadn't digested. I don't think since then. I went to Taco Bell around one p.m. today. Just got a spicy potato taco, and my stomach just instantly got really upset. <laughs> That's what happens when you wash it down with Taco Bell, man. Is this an ongoing problem? You got an upset stomach right now? Oh, no, not right now. It was at, like, one. It, it, like, literally, I put the spiced potato taco in my mouth, and then 30 minutes later, it was just... <laughs> All the stuff okay. I had yesterday was just not happy. Your body's like, oh, we got to rush to two boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is unhealthy. Get it out of here. I still have my cough from COVID. Mm. So that's fun. I'm, I got a lozenge going right now, but I don't know if I got to get rid of it before, the, before we start recording. <laughs> Was that your first COVID? Yeah. Nice. Took, took two years to catch me, boys. <laughs> I'm still on the run, boss. Wish me luck. I silenced my gotchies. <laughs> How many do you have now? Um, someone else asked me this before. So I have Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3 of the Digimon X Tamagotchis. I have the Digimon 20th anniversary Tamagotchi. I have the English version of the Gen 1 and Gen 2 of those two same ones. I have a, a Pac-Man Tamagotchi. Mm. Uh, Demon Slayer. And just an original one. Oh, man. So you just silenced all of them? Well, a lot of those Digimon ones are in my drawer. I've already had my fun with them. And I take them out occasionally. I'm only using two at the moment. Ah, uh, okay. I'm using one of the Digimon version two ones and the original Gachi. Just had an image of like Amanda from the Amanda show. <laughs> like you remember when the, she was trying to be her own biggest fan and she had all those telephones out trying to oh, call, yeah. call in <laughs> and suddenly she was getting a call back and she couldn't figure out which phone it was. <laughs> just imagine you sitting there with all your Tamagotchis just trying to make them all on silent. <laughs> There was a time where I was having I had like six of them going at the same time. Oh my god. So that could have been close. I got Jeez. sick of that pretty quick though. I was like, it's feeding time. It's like fifteen minutes later. I was like, okay. <laughs> where have I gone wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. You have like a bunch of little pets you're taking care of. Wow. I care about it's all of digital them. Arm. I'm a digital pet lady. 
<laughs> now that that is a new term that should be coined oh. in 2022. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Uh, Too late for this, man. (laughs) Shit. Alright, I'm good. Yes, podcast listeners, the Zelda-themed podcast where we dive into chapter-by-chapter dungeons, and we are in A Link to the Past right now. Last episode, we had covered the Swamp Palace. We got our boots a little wet and got the hook shot. And now, we're going into the deepest, spookiest, darkest woods that Grandmother told us not to go in. My name is Anthony, Tony Giggles, and my two co-hosts... I'm Ryan Fonzie, and I got a cough drop make my throat feel nice. Hmm? And I'm Cameron Hagin. I'm number one. Oh, man. How'd you get that? How'd I get what? How'd you, how'd you get number one? How are you number one? I don't know. It's unofficial. <laughs> it's unofficial. Waiting, I'm waiting on Guinness. Gotcha. Damn, called you back, yeah. <laughs> All right, so the last time we, uh, we took care of the Swamp Palace, and this time we were headed towards Skull Woods, and we're, we're doing the temples in order. So this is our, our number uh, three on the map, and this is where you know, we've just jumped over the, the river with our hookshot, and we're heading to what in the light world would be the Lost Woods. Uh, in the dark world, it's much more ominous and uh, kind of morose, like big old, big old skulls out in the woods. Some of them serve as doorways. Some of them, uh, well, I mean, it's just it's just a really creepy place. I have to tell you, I love the music when I first walked in because it is giving me Empire's March vibes. Like, come on now, that yeah. is straight up Darth Vader's March, just remix. Yeah, it's great. This is um, this is one of the coolest dungeons simply for the fact that you have to go in and out of it multiple times and find different entrances to the dungeon in order to progress through it uh in a way that most other places don't like the um the desert palace had a little bit of this going on but it was not nearly to this scale like this is um i mean the first time i went through this dungeon i got lost a couple times because i just did not understand what the game was trying to ask of me uh just with coming outside and finding a new way in and 
being able to, uh, I don't know. There's like, there's just a couple different tricks in a row that had me stumped for a while. This time was a little bit smoother. Uh, still, still ended up running into some issues, but was able to get through it in one sitting just fine. Uh, At first, I didn't realize what to do or where to go because I had just stumbled into the place. It took me probably five to ten minutes to realize the overworld was part of the dungeon. Yeah. On account of like, you know, the bushes you can whack, the different secret entrances. I was a little confused at first, and then I realized most of the dungeon you don't even need to be in. It's more of it's more of like getting to all the rooms from the overworld versus going through the dungeons really. The dungeon part of it wasn't so much as a puzzle, more of like, can you survive this room long enough to do what you need to do to get out? Yeah. That was definitely the the additional challenges. Whenever you were inside, it's just endless wall masters. Uh, wall yeah. masters being oh, they're the worst nasty creatures we remember from the Ocarina of Time Forest Temple, which is a lot like this one in terms of uh, tone. In terms of tone, it's very similar. But there's uh, instead of when a wall master comes down, you can just kill it once and then be done with it for that room. It's just it's just endless. You just have to constantly be on the move, like just be on the lookout for shadows as much as you can. And man, I got caught by these things all the time. And it is, it is frustrating. Yep. Especially, and I know we're not there yet, but in the, like the last run to the boss room, I probably got caught about six times. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, one of the first things I remember, like you get the, you get the big key, like right off the jump in this one. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's like the, one of the first rooms you come up to, you have to like move a statue while, you know, wall masters are falling down to try to capture you, which is pretty horrible. But when you finally do move the statue and get it on the switch, you can get through a doorway that leads you pretty much right to the big key. So time to big key was like extremely short, but then I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to actually get to the big chest that that key goes to. <laughs> Cause really? they kind of tease it. Like you can get into a room that shows it like across a gap. Like, if there's like a wall in the way, you just can't get over there. Um, and it's one of those times where you got to figure out, okay, how do I need to enter this dungeon in order to get to this? So that was actually the first thing I did was I didn't walk. I didn't know you could walk into the skull head that had the mouth open. So the first place I actually went into was the patch of bushes that you can cut through and get to the middle one. You drop down into a pit of skulls. From there, you pull open a wall on the left side of the room, and you get to like this open chasm. But I was running from the Helmosaur, maybe. I don't know. They, they look like a Helmosaur, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was running from that, and I accidentally hugged the wall of like that little room that gets you to the, the big chest. And I didn't like, so I know what you're supposed to do is like step on the little like eyeball switches to move the gaps around. Yeah. Is how you actually do it. I just, you can just get to the little like lever pulley thing by uh just hugging the wall. Like Link can stand on the little like cliff that's like on the side of that room. And I just like pushed the lever and oh, then it opened I, up. I couldn't get him to do that, right? I think I might have tried it and fell down the hole. Um, oh. it took me forever to realize that the switches when you move the f- f- holes in the floor around would actually hold. Like when you went through a doorway, because we're taught like that that doesn't happen previously. So for the for the longest time, I could not figure out that I needed to just hit the switch and then go back through the bomb wall 
and it just did not like that. That's where I kind of got stuck on this run. Silly, silly way to get stuck, but that's what happened. I now I'll save it for later because we're going to talk about what we get next. I just, I just kind of got lost in general all over the place, but in a good sense. And one that just made me run out and be like, oh, I already dropped down that hole. I guess I'll hop in this one. I was like channeling my inner <laughs> Laura Croft within Link. Like, it's going to keep diving into these places one after another. I'll find it eventually. Y'all, I literally went into, so partway through the dungeon, I, I'll just say it now. I walked down, like where you were supposed to go down and then up. I actually just went into whatever the dark world equivalent of Kakariko Village is, the demon village or whatever it's called. (laughs) And I just explored that, forgot that I was doing a dungeon. And I was like, wait a minute, this is not part of the dungeon. (laughs) And then I had to go back up. It does kind of feel like it, though, because there are like there are thieves everywhere. Mm hmm. Uh, But yeah, no, not part of the dungeon. Is this entire game part of the dungeon? (laughs) (laughs) This overworld map is hostile. It must be part of the dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But we do, uh, I mean, if you you pull the lever and the wall, it kind of explodes and clears out of the way. And we get our fire rod. Which is is awesome because um, there's a lot of places where it's actually really convenient to have it throughout this dungeon. Which makes sense because it's the dungeon we got it in. So per Zelda tradition, we're gonna be using it like crazy. There's right. a, pretty much one enemy in particular, the the Gibdos, that are especially weak to fire. I did not know that. Yeah, if you light them up, they they're they're pretty much just toasted, and they usually drop hmm. magic when you do it. Yeah, it's one shot. Yeah, they do drop a lot. I thought originally you could use it on the vines that are hanging on the sides of the walls. I didn't realize you just have, you cut them. Yeah, I did the yeah. same thing. I ran my magic out, and then I just ran up to the wall and was like, I wonder, I slashed, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, so lame. Yeah, the the first time I ever played this place, I did not know that you could slash the vines. I thought they were just, like, like ambient decoration. I just thought mm-hmm. they were just there, just to make the place look cool. So at some point, I was required to cut through some vines to progress. And so this time I didn't remember which vines they were. So I was just cutting every vine I saw the entire time. Cut every time. single one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Every time I did. Yeah, pretty much every room stole. I went in a room. Okay, let's, let's get somebody rid of these vines first and then <laughs> see what we're up against. What in tar nations up with these vines? Get them out of here. I don't want to see them anymore. And the occasional random skeleton that's in the vines that you can't really do anything about. <laughs> well, yeah. That one really is just the ambience. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's few other like four tricks and stuff that we have to do and after we get the fire out there's there's a couple of torch puzzles i know there's the vine cutting there's there's a second like whole section to the dungeon that we kind of have to get to yeah we have to find the right exit and then go way up to the top or is it like specifically the top left ish area kind of like where the master sword like if you were trying to make your way to the master sword in the light world you'd have to go here yeah, and then there's a there's a big mouth that's got this weird skeleton thing sticking out of it, and it's like, well, we can't go in there, but if you use your fire rod on it, it destroys it all the way ba- back to the base of the mouth, and it opens, and the dungeon continues. Wish I would have known that. Right, that was another one of those mm-hmm. things where like it really didn't have great. Nope, you gotta find it. Signaling. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's one of those moments where when you finally do get it, you're like, wow, really? Like that's. That's what I was supposed to do this whole time. 
I'm glad that that's the one thing about this entire dungeon I remember every time I play this game is get fire rod, use it to open last part of dungeon to get to boss. Yeah. Yeah, and we get the probably what's the most fun like floor switch puzzle right inside of here. Yeah, it was it was pretty fun. The are you talking about the one with the the pillar weaving or like the uh, where you had to step on all the faces? Or with the pits. The one where you have to step on all the faces, I think. Like it's it's, oh, it's yeah. a room full of pits and switches. And there's a wall master in there? Yeah, that one he annoyed me a little bit, I do think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I from from playing it, I know like you make like a big clockwise circle around the room basically, like with a couple of weird turns. But like every time you hit a switch, you just you know look where can I even walk and then just kind of go there. <laughs> but um, it it always True. feels cool to get it down to a rhythm after you like you know made a couple runs and tries. The thing is though, the first time I go into a room, I just have like this slight OCD about killing everything and picking up every pot at least one time so I don't miss a key or something. Right. So the first time I was going through it trying to kill everything. I was getting grabbed by that floor master. I got like probably three or four times in that room before I got the last pot and was like, I can finally move on knowing that I've collected everything in this room. Yeah. Yeah, but there's not really anything in there except for... <laughs> no, it's all worthless junk. It was a waste of my time. <laughs> Made it feel even worse. Man, so after, and, uh, after that room is when we get the, uh, the mega um, torch puzzle as well. Yeah. Like, you gotta like fire rod your way through the room like run basically run up the hall just shooting fireballs to the left and right until you get to the end um at least that's how that was my experience you can i think you can actually manage it with the with the lantern but that's it's probably a lot tighter because they all have to be lit simultaneously at the end so you'd have to go fast yeah the last one for sure you can't get with the lantern you have to use the fire rod for that one but i don't Mm -hmm. know about the rest of them you i did that when i did it i used lantern on the very first one nice so I want to paint a picture for you guys right now because we're getting close to the boss, right? So this was all done in one session. I started the session after a good day. I was happy. <laughs> I okay. was just, I was, it was a great day. A lot of things, a lot of good things happened. And I was, it was uh, after the kayaking session. So, you know, I was full. I had a lot of food in me. I, when I got to this point, I'll say the next room after this room killed me. I had already died in the forest getting to this part probably more times than I've died in the entire run so far, just in the stretch of this dungeon in the forest. I get to this next room, and I don't know if it was the placement of the worms or the gibdo or the fire that's in the room, and you turn into a bunny halfway through, but oh yeah, I died probably another like five or six times. So the blood was starting to boil considering I had already died just from stupid things like the the ferns that jump at you a few times and the gibdos and the wallmasters bring me My blood was, I was about at a 60%. My girlfriend was <laughs> like, I'm just going to stay over here. So let's just say I walked into the boss room at about 60% of my blood was boiling already. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. Hey, that boss is not fun. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny that the, I think this is where we get introduced to those little sparkle things, right? Like little, the ones yeah. that turn you into Yeah, this a is rabbit. the first dungeon. I thought you needed to do a puzzle with this thing the first time you see it. So I'm sitting in this room, like clearing out all the gibdos, trying to turn into a bunny. I'm like, oh, there's a puzzle here somewhere. It was like 20 minutes later, I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> no, this is where you got to cut some specific vines. Mm-hmm. 
No, I. It, it's just funny. I think the first time I saw the sparkles, I thought it was a good thing. I was like, oh, like that's, I mean, it's not a teleporter spot, but I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a power up. I have no idea. So you go walking right into it and it's like, oh, you're a bunny now. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> you can't do anything except <laughs> take damage. It's like, thanks, <laughs> thanks game. Yeah, I didn't mess with that. I kind of just went through this room. Lickety yeah. split. Nice. Golden trickery. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you know that the Gibdos died of fire, it actually makes it a lot easier as well. I, yeah. I and if you look at the map, you can see where the vines-ish are. That you need to Wonder, cut. Does the lantern work then? I didn't try it on them. It might, but yeah, I mean, you have to get really. You have close to get danger close. That, you yeah. Got to get in the danger zone. It's the biggest difference. Da-na-na-na. Like this whole reason you even get a fire rod is because it's a long range lantern, basically. Through mm, that, <laughs> you got your lantern. You got your lantern launcher. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kid's favorite. <laughs> That's his favorite one right there. Uh, all right. Well, so we make it through a few more rooms. I mean, there's some, there's, there's some more trickery, but not nearly as much as we've seen up to this point. You know, some blade traps, stuff like that, and we end up falling right into the boss room. Oof. And uh, this one is a big old moth with echolocation, <sighs> mm-hmm. and more importantly, a room full of blade traps and conveyor mm-hmm. belts. Yep. Those but are there. Why, though? Yeah. And a whole lot of... Yeah, this, this felt like I was playing, like, what is it called? Galaga from back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> like, some just, dude... the whole time stuff is flying at you, and you're just trying to, like, run in circles to avoid everything while, like, every once in a while getting close enough to do some damage. The uh, boss's name is Mothula. Like, <laughs> kind of Batman is that? That's not a Zelda name. It's that not. sounds Godzilla to me. It does sound like yeah. Godzilla. Yeah, Mothra. King of Monsters, Mothula. Mothula. Like, it's very, it's right there. Please help us, Mothula. Oh, I'd like to mention something. If you guys weren't aware, something I, I know from watching a lot of speedruns, there's a glitch with this boss in the version. I don't, see, I don't know if it was moved over perfectly with uh, the virtual machine you guys are playing it on, but at least the original version of this game there was a bug that anytime you dealt damage to the boss, if they hit one of the spike traps on the outside of the room and also got hit by that, it would negate the damage that you dealt to it and would take no damage from the entire uh, ordeal of that oh, wow. that damage. Yep. That I did not know that. Yep. I don't even know if I would have realized, you know, like just fighting it. So this fight can potentially take infinitely longer. Yeah. If you keep accidentally hitting him when he's already up and you hit him up more, for example, and he hits the spikes. That's weird. It's probably they just didn't want him to take damage from the spikes, so they had to do some weird programming to make it seem like he was immune, but then somehow that negated your damage as well. They had to do some 1993 programming. Yeah, it must be something like that. Wow. Not the case in my Game Boy Advance remake version, though. <laughs> well, the thing that I know for this is this is this is like the the pinnacle of hey use your cane of burna or your magic cloak and just forget about the spike traps just run up to them and start hitting them like i didn't the, even think about the that damage yeah it, it, does really, he also not have like a weird weird hitbox when you're using melee i could only hit him does. from the top so anywhere on the top of his wings or the top of his head i could not hit him if I was under him and to the side of him, I had to be above him to hit him. 
I that wasn't true that of issue. the fire rod. The fire rod hit him, but melee wise, I had to be above him. And uh, I got so frustrated. Just take a wild guess at how many times I died. Uh, oh, you, you, do you have a count? Yeah. Eight. Uh, I'm a plus one. <laughs> Nine. <sighs> I died 29 times. Oh, goodness. Oof. I walked in. I didn't have a, a strategy, a plan. I didn't know what I was facing. It's just instant blade trap death. Then I walked in again, and I was like, that's stupid. And I walked in again. I was like, oh, maybe I should use a fire rod. <laughs> Tried hitting him, ran out of magic. I hit him like four times, got killed by blade traps. And I just repeated the process, probably died about 16 times. I was like, oh, so mad. Because if, it, if I got lucky, oh I was like, okay. I looked it up. I was like, how much health does this guy have? So he takes eight hits from the fire rod. Uh, I think, a, I think, I don't know how many melee with the sword. But he also takes damage from the hammer, and you only have to hit him four times with the hammer to kill him. Oh. Problem is, the hammer is so close range that maybe that's the problem I was having with melee. But anyway, I went in there with the hammer because the internet's like, yeah, you only have to hit him four times. So I probably died another like 14 times trying it with the hammer. And finally, I, I got this like lucky run where I was just like flash stepping around the blade traps, not getting hit by them. I think I finished getting hit once the entire time, beat him. I almost like fell back in my, the couch. Just like, ah, oh. <laughs> my girlfriend was like, you did it. You did it. And I'm like, I know I'm, I'm still boiling right now. <laughs> Lo and behold, like an hour later, we are watching impractical jokers The I like, I don't want people to think I'm like an animal person, herder person. I, I like, I kill animals or whatever, but, a moth flew in because we had the door open because our cat oh, sits no. outside. And I was still seeing red. Like, even Impractical Jokers didn't make me feel good. So the moth came in, and my girlfriend has this little, like, bug catcher thing where she, like, catches the bugs and then, you know, lets them go outside. I saw him, and I don't know what came over me, but I just took my shoe off and just thwapped him. And I kind of, like, I kind of, like, stepped back a second and thought about my life. It's like, what am I doing? I let a game let me kill a moth in real life. What am I doing with my life? So after that, I kind of cheered a little bit up. But yeah, that boss made me so mad, man. See, that moth was there to cheer you up. That moth came on the wrong day, man. He came on the wrong day. You lost your phone. You ate your emotions. <laughs> you played the worst boss you fought yet. Yeah. <laughs> which just happened to be moth flavored. <laughs> flavored. This little nocturnal fuzzball flying through the window. Like, nah, not tonight. Not today. <laughs> yeah. I saw him and I was like, you did. You. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm here I, to squish bugs and get mothballs and I'm all out of balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, that boss, he. I want to definitely, I had created a suspend point. That's how I was able to do the boss so many times. I didn't even have fairies. Like, uh, I just, I just dark souls to this thing until yeah, I beat gotta, it. You got to have fairies. I, I mean, I think I died, but I had a fairy. Like, I don't think I had to replay the boss at all. I might've lost to it once. If I, uh, I just don't remember, but I definitely went in with fairies and only had to fight it once or twice. 
Mm. Yep. I, I beat it first time I went in, but I needed two fairies. But that is yeah. not that is not the experience I had the first time I played the game. The first time I, I fought this boss, I think I I mean I think the temple itself killed me a million times and then I got to the boss and it probably took me around eight to ten. Oh yeah. Guys. All in all, I think I died around fifty times in this place. <laughs> Man, Moth, you look got your number. I don't even know if I died once. But I played this a lot. And you guys but, might have also had the bug to deal with where when he hits the f- spikes, no damage. Yeah, I mean, I think this was still before I had played The Legend of Zelda. So, like, this was still when I was struggling through the game and dying everywhere. I don't think I I got any better at the game until maybe, like, the Ice Tower. <laughs> so, mm. so, yeah, everything, everything before that was just a big, was just a big death fest. This is like the wake up zone. This this is where it slaps you in the face and it's like, get good. Right yeah. here. A little bit. Oh, Are you really going to let us kill you all this time? <laughs> oh, the Dark Palace was too easy, huh? <laughs> Man. Speaking of the um, the next palaces, though, one thing that I noticed is that the, the manga, it doesn't have Skullwoods in it. Um, and then later on, it... It mentions this place called the Wasteland, which I'm pretty sure is akin to Misery Mire in this game. And mm-hmm. then it, and then they go to the Ice Tower, which actually comes before Misery Mire in this game. So, like, they switched the, the order of the temples and then kind of, like, s- just skipped this one. So, we don't actually have any reading for today. Um, I'm thinking we're probably not no. going to read again until we get to one of those other places. But, um, yeah. 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 In fact, I think the yeah. the next temple we go to as well also is not mentioned in the manga. So we have a we have a couple of uh, of episodes without that particular content to kind of carry us through. No, but um, I started just trying to think about okay, like what is this game? Like what is the what is like the theme that I'm I'm seeing? Right, like so for Ocarina of Time, we know what we saw was there was like this whole theme about balance and making sure that you are pursuing these virtues if you're on the path of a hero like you're going to have all these different qualities you're going to have these different relationships everything's going to kind of end in unity and like you're this balanced part right like like ganondorf wasn't balanced that's why the triforce didn't work out for him as well (laughs) um but then you spend the game becoming a balanced hero and it becomes this whole idea that gets kind of put forth to the to the player um kind of similar kind of a lot different with skyward sword um it's like there's this whole journey about becoming the hero but it's all it's way more focused on the whole power wisdom courage bit um it's not really about being balanced it's not really about you know there's no color theory stuff (laughs) from what i remember it was more just along the lines of like here's the history of hyrule and the triforce um here's like a legend that you guys know but it turns out it's you so it's like like taking the stories you know growing up and like how do they act how are you actually embodying the life lessons that you know and it, it it was like this whole this whole thing like this whole revelation like oh we we are the heroes like this is our job like this isn't this isn't stuck in the past like this is the reality of our own situation so so i'm looking at this game linked to the past and i'm like what are we doing <laughs> like what i i know that everybody's like oh may the path of the hero lead to the triforce right like in you know, we 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 talked a little bit about, you know, we start out with the power, wisdom, and courage, kind of like we do in every game. And there's been a lot of talk about how anything that happens in the dark world also happens in the light world. 
you know, Ganondorf has this Triforce, but he couldn't find a way back to the to the light world. You know, there's just a lot, a lot of these like parallelism statements about the two worlds. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you you are the one who's called to kind of fight Ganondorf. So I don't know. I was just trying to think of like, okay, what what is this game even up? even really like trying to put forward. And, and I think that a lot of it is in that parallelism, parallelism talk. Like at, to me, like there's a place that we went to early on in the game called the tower of Hera. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sticks out because no other place is named after like a, like a, like a goddess, <laughs> you know, uh, like Hera is not even a legend of Zelda traditional goddess. Like Hera is, you know, I think Greek, Greek mythology, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And she's she's Zeus's wife, right? The goddess of women, marriage, family, and childbirth. And I, honestly, a lot of those I don't I don't see being a theme in this game. But the the idea of marriage kind of stuck out, just because um to me you know there's like there's there's the yin and yang where you know there's like men and women is one of the dichotomies that's kind of brought about in that symbology. Um, but there's also in this game a huge thing about these two worlds that reflect one another and part of me wonders if like the tower of Hera was supposed to be built by the Hylians back in the day with this idea that they were going to somehow find a way to to bring these two worlds together or make bridges between them so that they would be like one big nation in a way it it just it seems to me like there's this a lot of talk about um, the way these two things interplay and right now they're set up opposed to each other. But, um, but just as a, as a minor spoiler, Ganon's tower, like Ganondorf's final, like his tower at the end of the game is you can, you can see it from where you are now. It's, it's up on death mountain and it's in the exact same spot as the tower of Harrow. So like part of me wonders if when he was trying to find his way back to the light world, if he set that up there because he was really looking for, like he was looking in places that were important in the light world. Like he was looking in different places that like places of interest in one world were the places that he was searching for a way back. And the place where there was a group of people who specifically would have been interested in the merging of the two worlds is like the number one place where he looked. Cause I mean, the tower of hair is where we get the moon pearl that actually lets us keep our form in the other world. So like for mm-hmm. Ganondorf to be particularly interested in that zone to me kind of points more to this, this same idea. And I think that some of the stuff that we see through the game kind of, it like, it kind of represents Ganondorf's search in a way. I didn't want to talk too much about this part of my idea yet. (laughs) Um, But everything that we've come up against has had some kind of weird eyeball thing going on. Mm -hmm. Um, The Hellasaur, when you take his helmet off, it's just, it's a weak spot. It's a big eyeball underneath his helmet. When we went to, you know, the Swamp Palace, the uh, the Argus, a big old eyeball, <laughs> basically, that was just covered up by all these little bubble things. Um, and now Argus is a moth that has false eyes, like six of them on its wings. Um, not that they're like a particularly weak point on the body, but there just seems to be an eye theme going on. You actually and- just kind of bridged into I don't know if you remember last episode that bit that I said I was kind of planning in thought um, but basically it was about Aghanim 
and how he, if you see the official cover art of the game, I don't know if you, we, I don't even know if we talked about this yet, but he has a Sheikah eye on his robes. Right. And I, I tried, yeah, and I tried doing some like deep, deep diving, and I'm still diving into that right now. But I, I just want to, like, I, since you're on the topic of eyeballs, I'm like, he has an eye on his robes. You can barely see it in game, but if you look at the official Aghanim cover art, like, boom, right there. And I'm I'm just like crying like what like what I need to find out why right no that definitely let me know if you find anything about that yeah well you know bring it to the bring it to the podcast don't just let me personally know <laughs> um I, but yeah no it 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 stuck out to me. I'm like Ganondorf made this dark world the way that it is like it used to be the golden land he got the Triforce and he made this this dark world he couldn't get back. And I think some of the bosses we've yet to fight are going to tell us a little bit more about that story. But so far, what I've been seeing is, is it seems like he made this world the way it is. I don't know if he put, I don't know if he put the bosses in place. I, I mean, I think it's a safe assumption to say that he probably did, but it seems like these were all different servants that weren't really meant for battle. They were meant to help find a way back. Like everything has these weird these weird eye configurations and to me what that speaks to is Ganondorf was making things to help him search for for a path back to the light world mm -hmm. and he wasn't successful with it like part of his wishes being met were these things that were meant to help him with that but that's that's just my guess I mean this is all theory it's like a big old theory rant that I'm on right now but that's where I'm at and I think I think in the next dungeon there's going to be a much stronger argument for that exact thing that I'm that I'm expressing right now. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think about how many eyeballs are in this game, but yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a theme of sight. There's a theme of um, like what is seen and what is unseen, um, depending on what world you're in. And I guess I could touch a little bit then, um, just to piggyback off off of what you were mentioning with with what I w had in mind, but okay. I don't I don't have the I haven't gotten like an answer yet, but just to get off of what you were saying, you know how in every game, Sheikah and the Royal family are extremely close, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hand in hand, it goes hand in hand. So this Aghanim guy, right? He's wearing a Sheikah eye on his clothing. Now, Sheikah eyes and, and Sheikah in general are always very close to the Royal family, but unbeknownst to in this game we don't see anything Sheikah related and there's just two symbols two things that point us towards Sheikah ever being in this game that's Aghanim's clothing and then the actual book of Mudora has a Sheikah symbol on it but with the book of Mudora you can kind of see I, I did like a little bit of a deep dive on that too as why why does it have a Sheikah symbol on it so the Book of Medora in Ocarina of Time can actually be seen in Impa's house, only it has a Triforce on it, but it's the same book, same color, same everything, or so people say. And this could potentially be like, so the LTTP version from, if, if we want to do like a standpoint on this, it, in religion, it could be like a New Testament version, whereas it could be like events told through the Sheikah. So there's like a Sheikah eye on it instead of the Triforce. Don't like, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little out there, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing that keeps going through my head right now is that 
Aghanim was pretending to be a servant of the royal family. Right. You know, so like he might not be a legitimate Sheikah, but he might have been known as a Sheikah before he went evil. You know, like him him being like this this shaman character who showed up to to, you know, help with the big plague. Like if I was the royal family and I was like, Well, you're not gonna be a royal, but we do have this, you know, class of Sheikah who are kinda like our special ops and you know, that could be that could be you. Could have been like gifted or something. Yeah. Another thing is I think he could be potential. Well, I know he's allied with Ganon, but uh, a part of me is thinking of how he came to be in, the, in this land with the Sheikah eye, with, with everything. And he looks and dresses. I know you guys didn't play Four Swords, but he looks and dresses like a race of people in that land who share land in the desert with the Garudu. So the, this race lives hand in hand, side by side with the Garudu. They're called Zuna, and they're the Zuna tribe. Now hear this. The Zuna tribe build pyramids that are magical, right? So they've been known to build countless pyramids, blah, blah, blah. Now you can kind of link that towards, eh, maybe they built the Pyramid of Power. Who knows? But they just dress so identical. They have the same kind of skin tone as Aghanim in the game. It's like a grayish kind of green, which is kind of like what Aghanim's skin color is. So now I'm like, okay, is Aghanim connected to this tribe since that game was made pretty soon after LTTP? Or like, what, what, what kind of transition is that? And also, why is the Sheikah symbol there? So I'm wondering, with your connection of like all these eyes, right, that you were mentioning, if Ganon actually has been creating these monsters, and created Aghanim as like part of his attempt to escape the dark world. Um, but this was where my like research kind of stopped. Gotcha. So I, I just basically have the two. Is Aghanim Sasuke? Is Aghanim Sasuke? <laughs> uh, I mean, he was already out of the dark world though, right? What do you mean? He's trying to find. He was trying to break the seal to, to let Ganondorf back out. No, I'm saying is like, I'm I'm like, so I there's like a spell and there's like a whole thing with the lore of like the Zuna and they can descend realities essentially. So I'm wondering if if maybe he's allied with Ganon, maybe he can descend between realities. Um, there was something else like basically go between lands to help Ganon, right? Or yeah. yeah, it does seem like like uh Aghanim was unique in that way. Like it se- it seemed like he he was able to send us to the dark world and it it really appeared as though he was able to to take himself back and forth. He just wasn't able to to do the same thing with Ganondorf because they didn't actually finish the ritual. Um from what I remember. So so the magic that he's using is something different. Yeah, and that that kind of like that kind of like leads me to believe that they said that this ancient race has built the pyramids. They've had the abilities to do that. They were descended from ancients and descended from basically demigods in the lore of Zelda. And 
I looked a little deeper into this. I I didn't know this. I I guess it's like spoilers for Endgame, but there's like a secret dungeon in the Pyramid of Power called Four Swords Palace, which is where that race is featured. So it even like kind of links them to building the pyramid even more and being in more relation to Aghanim. I don't know. Yeah, they they added that in the remake, the Four Swords Palace. Yeah, like that was so. It's like yeah, it wasn't in the original, but yeah, I think if you if I mean that connection is clearly something that they wanted to be there. Um, that would be the kind of move they would make. <laughs> yeah, include a reference. I'm just trying to figure out what Aghanim is doing with the Shika. <laughs> no, I I get it. It's just his drip, man. But I mean, it does I, it does play right into that theme of like the seen versus the unseen as well, because that's what the Shika of a lot of games been known for is, you know, the eye of mm-hmm. truth and being able to distinguish reality from, from illusion. And, uh, well, I mean, not that one of these worlds is an illusion, but I, I think it, it's very telling that one of the worlds reveals your inner nature, like your true self, you know, like that's, that's mm-hmm. one of the themes of the golden land is that it does that. Um, so I don't know. It just, there's a there's a lot in the game where it's like okay like you go to this world everything looks different but that's like somehow in a like in a way that's it's more true the way it looks like versus versus what you're used to like it's there's right. a whole there's an whole idea there I think it, it has a lot to do with like your actions in in the physical world have spiritual implications or have like unseen implications like it, it's not that you're just you're doing something good. Is that when you do something good, you're actually denying something evil and vice versa. So it's That's like, a good way to look at it. What like what do your choices really mean and what do your actions really mean? And like what what is the thing that is face value that you see and then what lies deeper than that? So um but I, I think that the connection of of Aghanim being a Sheikah or possibly a, a Zuna or is that how you say that? Yeah, Zuna. Um, that's a whole area that I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with the Sheikah. I have no idea what's going on with the Zuna, but from what you've explained, it sounds like there, there is an intentional connection there and that it's, you're, you're onto something. Yeah. I just need to do a little bit more of a dive. I wanted to bring one more thing up. This one's really quick since we're not doing the comic, but we all remember Rome, right? The night in the dark Uh, world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm just going to straight up lay it on you. <laughs> Rome is Groose's ancestor. What? You mean Groose is Rome's ancestor? Isn't it the other way around or no? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the other way around. I'm sorry. But yeah, that, that's, that's what it's at. So hear me out. All right. Rome thinks he's... Rome looks like. <laughs> he looks like a, a goofy character. Straight up like a descendant of Goose could be. Um, he thinks he's suave. He thinks he's better than everyone. He always thinks down on Link. He thinks he should be the hero. He thinks Link is not the chosen one. He turns into a bird and then cannot control his emotions, just like Goose. Which brings that point you brought up in our season two, where Goose is very closely associated with birds, having, I think it was like a bird crest on his back. This knight shares a bird crest too. Now. We also know, I'm not going to spoil the comic, so I'm going to leave this part out, but let's just say Rome does a very gruesome thing coming up in the comic. And so I was thinking, I'm like, this sounds just like 
He has a bird haircut, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you look up an image of, of Rome, you could tell that this man turns into an eagle because his face and hair already looks like one. Looks just like an eagle. I'm like wondering. I, I mean, it could very well not be true, but he just the character to, to shares me, a lot feels, of similarities with Groose. Yeah, it feels like two characters from different universes that are, are filling the same space because it's, yeah. it's um. I know we already talked about like the differences in the th- sword creations between this game and and uh, Skyward Sword, mm-hmm. and if if those things cannot be reconciled, then I think that in a, in a way, Groose is part of the 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 Hylia has gifted us a sword legend, and Rome is a part of the this sword was man made to resist evil magic legend. Um, and they're in that like way, they're kind of the same. Yeah, they're universe, like they're like counterpart. The yeah, universe. little parallel stories going on. But I mean, I get it. I get what you're saying. The man, the man is a beefy bird punk. <laughs> yep. So he's also a master archer, and Groose, you know, like he built the catapult machine. I mean, I know there's two different <laughs> catapults in <laughs> archery, but you know, he got that range game going on. I, I was I was reaching for pebbles, but the thing that really really cements it for me is what's to come. The way that he thinks down on Link and thinks he should be the hero, and then what he does after is just the same story that happened to Groose in yeah. Skyward Sword. There's a very good chance that Groose came from came from Rome, mm-hmm. kind of like Navi would have come from Ephraimelda. Exactly. They're just like taking pieces of these stories and like building entire character designs out in games later which is kind of cool out of the comic it's not even made by nintendo really wow Can't yeah and this this came out a little bit before uh skyward sword 2 just, yeah. a, little just bit. a little bit just a little bit it's like 30 years yeah. eh, it's not that long i think it was 20 years wasn't it oh yeah was it from 80s to the 90s to the o's to the teens right this is like a 92 game though 9192. Oh, I thought this came out in the 80s on the original mm-hmm. SNES. 90s in the SNES. The original game I think was 89. Oh, all right. Well, either oh, way, definitely 20 years then. 2011, so yeah, yeah. 20 then to 30, I think. Man. But that's everything I had to share. I got to do a deeper dive on yeah, the Book I, of Medora and all that. I I think the theme of seen and unseen is just going to keep coming up, so we're, we'll be able to talk about it more as we go. Um Mm-hmm. Cam got any wild theories about this game? Nah, I really don't. <laughs> like it's a 2D Zelda, what you want from me? Yeah, hey, I've been, I've been playing this game since straps. I was like nine years old. I, I hear you. If I We're going to save the princess, man. Really try to like throw my brain at this game, like I wouldn't have had anything, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I mean, I'm I'm leaving my mind open while I'm playing, and I'm taking in the environments and stuff, but it's just not really triggering anything. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. Well, there's one thing that uh when we actually beat Mothula that we didn't mention, but that's the um the maiden. We get our uh we free our third maiden, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Three of, three of seven. And this one, I actually just put the entire line in Discord just so that I could read it out. Um she starts off by asking Link, Do you know the prophecy of the great cataclysm? Uh, this is the way I heard it. So immediately she's like, this is the great cataclysm is, is Ganondorf getting the Triforce just for, just for the context of this quote. 
Uh, if a person who has an evil heart gets the Triforce, a hero is destined to appear, and he alone must face the person who began the Great Cataclysm. If the evil one destroys the hero, nothing can save the world from his wicked reign. Only a person of the Knights of Hyrule, who protected the royalty of Hylia, can become the hero. You are their bloodline, aren't you? Then you must rescue Zelda without fail. Hmm. One of the biggest things that jumps out to me with this quote is uh, the Knights of Hyrule, quote, who protected the royalty of Hylia. Um, yeah. Because I, I've been led to believe that the land isn't called Hylia, but maybe I'm wrong. Like, do they say that the that Hyrule used to be called Hylia? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is yeah, I know what you're Hylia saying. Here, or is this... Or are they just referring to, like, the royalty of the goddess Hylia? Well, yeah, I mean, that, I think that would have been a recontextualized. I think, like, after Skyward Sword, that question comes out, like, is this Hylia the goddess Hylia, or is this Hylia the land? Because um, the royalty, because it just mean the people, because the people were called Hylians, so, like, the royalty of Hylia could have just meant Hylian royalty, but... Yeah. That's what I thought when I heard it. The wording is yeah. so weird. We're now, now that we have all this Hylia lore that it's like, okay, well, if we're going to try to tie these things together, then it would. I mean, it works in the way that yeah. before Skyward Sword came out, it was just the people. And now that it's out, it's, it's the whole everything that represents Hyrule and the people and goddess and all that. Yeah. Because it even says Knights of Hyrule. Like, it's clear that the land's name is right there in the same sentence. So then the royalty of Hylia must have been, at least when the game came out, just the royalty of the people. But again, like this is this is one of those things where a lot of lore gets kind of pointed back to, is Link being of the bloodline and and being of the Knights of Hyrule, uh, because that's that's one of the arguments for for like a continuous timeline is okay. Well, if you're gonna you know wield the master sword and be the hero then you need to be one like a, a person of this quote-unquote bloodline um but the thing is like anybody who becomes a knight of hyrule could then be a part of that bloodline you know like it's it's one of those things where like it's it's super conditional until it's not and it's not because <laughs> like people can get recruited and then suddenly yeah. it's like okay you're of the bloodline of a knight of hyrule so you're you know you're there you can't tell me every link and every single uh, universe is the same bloodline. Yeah, it would can't. be it would be kind of problematic because a lot of people like to ship Link and Zelda, and if every Link was a descendant of another Link and every Zelda was part of the same royal family, that would mean that there's mm -hmm. a lot of in in inside uh, relationships going on in a way yeah. that makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, so, <laughs> so I would like to reject that idea. Yeah, just just for saying but i would not reject the idea that you know every every hero that we know either has a has an ancestor who was a knight of hyrule or is themselves a knight of hyrule that makes um, sense to me i think i think that tracks yeah there's something about the spirit of link that's hanging around in the air waiting to be born is just like eh, that guy's not looking uh, royal royal defensive enough for me you know <laughs> gonna need somebody that's a little better shaped to defend some royalty an honorary knight. Every time you go to fight Ganon, you are protecting the, the royalty of Hylia. Let's be real. Pretty much, yeah. Zelda is kind of like the personification of the royalty of Hylia and Hyrule. True that. Alright, I think that's uh, that's our last detail, though. Anybody have anything else they want to add to to this uh, to this chapter? 
I did end up going to the top of Death Mountain in the Dark World and made my way. Actually, I think I, no, it was in the Dark World, but I don't think I actually had to be in the Dark World. I went back to the Light World and did a little, I uh, hookshot it across a bridge and then went up around this weird area with a bunch of caves and a couple chests with rupees, a bunch of enemies, and then back up along the top of it and then to the left where I had to use the mallet to knock down something to get across another bridge. And all the way across that bridge was a pedestal with a bunch of gobbledygook on it I couldn't read, so I took out my book and uh, then I got the ether medallion. Nice. Don't know nice. what that is. And then I also finished up the bat thing. I got the halved magic cost, and I got the cape and the rod. So I'm I'm pretty caught up on the items that we were talking about. Nice. That I hadn't obtained until recently. Good deal. Yeah. No, I think I think I'm um at this point in the game I'm missing one side item, and that's just a bottle. And I don't actually know how to get it yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with that and try to figure out if I can find it before our next episode. But. How many yeah. bottles should we have now? Uh, you can uh, easily you can easily have three. three. Okay, um, I, could, I got three. I don't know how easy the fourth one is to get, but I, from what I understand, it's not that complicated. It's more of just knowing some details about the game. Like it's there, there's certain NPCs that give clues to it and things like that. But my understanding is once you know what you need to do, it's it's pretty routine. It's not. Oh, a hey, difficulty to oh, it. What's up? Sorry to interrupt you, Fonz. Um, I found an upgraded shield somewhere. I found a shield that's like orange and bigger than the Hylian shield. Bigger Anybody than, else? Bigger than the red one? Oh no, it is the red one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got that from the fountain, from the fairy fountain. I threw it. I found it in a shop. A red one. Oh. And I straight up bought it because, you know, oh. <laughs> nine, nine, nine. <laughs> and link money bags over here. I saw that too. But didn't know what it was because I already had the red shield, so I buy it. I think, I think part of the the reason are there like likes in this game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what happens if you have a blue shield, you can get it upgraded to a red shield, but you can also lose either of those to a like like. So you can actually go back and buy another red shield, or you could go back and buy a blue shield and just have it upgraded at the fairy fountain again. I think. Hmm. So if you're stingy on rupees, you can get it for free, essentially. Something like that, yeah. I don't remember when, but we might want to cut this. But pretty soon, we might be getting our uh, our Master Swords upgraded and tempered a little bit. <gasps> yeah. Spoilers. Yeah, I think that's going to be after the, next, after the next dungeon. I just remember it happening eventually. Oh, yeah, there's what, there's what tends to be called progressive power. <laughs> In these games, at least I think that's what the speedrunners call it. And um, basically what that is, you know, in Ocarina of Time, that would be your gauntlet. The time jump. And your, oh. no, like, yeah, like you get the, um, like the Goron bracelet that lets you pick bombs. But then you also get like the silver gauntlets that help you pick up a bigger rock. And then you get the golden gauntlets that help you pick up the towers. Like oh, it's yeah. just Link's kind of like strength of what he can actually lift. Um, in this mm. game, it's... Like we get the the mitts in the desert palace that let us pick up rocks, right? Because we couldn't pick them up before. Now we can't pick up the black rocks. Yeah, we can't pick up the black rocks or the or the big dark rocks either. Like we can pick up any gray rock right now, even the huge ones, but we can't pick up the little, the little tungsten ones. For some yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You but, know what's um, you know? Speaking of shops, 
I think it's absolutely hilarious that in the Dark World shop you can just buy a bee. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. You can even buy There's a golden rupees. bee, but you can't even buy like, it. Get your bees here. Get your bees here. Ten rupees a pop. This video game is woefully underbeed. <laughs> the, you can't even buy the golden bee, you said? No, you go when you try to go up to the golden bee, he says, oh, I'm sorry, that one's special. It's not for sale. And you need to trade. I don't remember what it is, but you have to trade him something to get the golden bee. The golden bee, like, one-shots most enemies, I think, and also doesn't go away. Oh, wow. Yeah, golden bee's really good. I've never gotten the golden bee, but now I want to try to get this thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, you want the golden bee. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to have a, a, a fun next episode, hopefully. <laughs> we'll all have bees. Good deal. Well, y'all, uh, this has been our episode of A for No, B for Yes. We appreciate you listening. If uh, you want to write to us, you can do so at our social medias, uh, at A for No, B for Yes, or uh, email A for No, B for Yes at gmail.com. Uh, all of the the correct typings of those things will be in our episode description, like always. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, if if you want to support this channel, uh, one of the best ways you can do that is to just share us out, like let people know that you enjoy it. If you do, quite honestly, like we're here to make friends, so <laughs> definitely write us. Definitely uh, let other people who you think might enjoy the show know about us. Uh, but yeah, hope you all have a good couple of weeks and we'll catch you on the next episode. Get in touch, fam. Did you get all that? Originals. My lozenger is gonna run out, which is probably for the best. I don't need to be sucking on things and trying to talk at the same time. <laughs> I'm pretty good at just shoving it up into the corner of my mouth and then talking normal. Yeah, that would have been the strap, but at this point, I'm not gonna have anything to do that with by the time Anthony. <laughs> you have another lozenge, my man. They're all downstairs. Oh, jeez. Go run where Anthony comes back. Like, oh, where'd Ryan go? Yeah. Get some some more cough drops so we can just talk like this the entire episode. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't really planning on talking like this per se, but I, mean, I guess I could. <laughs> like, I'm really going well there. Is that Carl?
Who's doing what now? I believe I start. <laughs> Anthony starts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hello, A4. Yes. Wow. Hold on. I messed that up already. Hello, A4. Yes, B4. No, listeners. Bro. Last time. What? A for no. <laughs> it's A for no and B for yes. <laughs> Oh man, I'm still in the giggly mode. Hold on. All right, let me, let me get let me get into this. All right, let me. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Hey for yeah. <laughs>